Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. It's 4.02 and you have stumbled across the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Welcome aboard. Forecast calling for a clear evening, a low of 67. Tomorrow and Sunday, good deal of sunshine both days, a high of 90 tomorrow and 92 on Sunday. Phillies are opening up a weekend series at home tonight with the Atlanta Braves and the Eagles continue on with the training camp thing that they're doing. So, Joe, we have a fine program today. Looking forward very much to a special guest in just a couple minutes. His name sounds great. Yes, it does. His name is Ray Rhodes Jr. He's written a book. Yeah. It's not the not the I, that's exactly yeah no not the former <laughs> Eagles head coach uh, no he's an author he's a pastor and uh, he's written a book called Susie the life and legacy of Susanna Spurgeon and uh, so we're going to get into this because uh, well I'll just save it for the chat we have coming up but also yeah don't forget this coming weekend at the Ocean City Tabernacle you have uh, Daryl Strawberry speaking Sunday morning at eight thirty and ten thirty and Laura Story in concert Sunday night and that's free. Yes, it is. It's a nice deal. Yeah, yeah. Now, we tried to get Daryl Strawberry for the program. Both. And, and, and Laura. Yeah. Right. So I don't know what the story with Laura's was. And Strawberry. Laura's story. We didn't get, right. And we didn't get Strawberry. So we have to do some Strawberry trivia oh. to make up for it. Okay. So here's how we'll do it. Because we're going to have a nice chat here coming up in a minute with, uh, with uh, Ray Rhodes Jr. here. Uh, I'm going to just throw this question out. And folks are welcome to answer it via text or email during the show. And if they get a, a question right, uh, we'll be perhaps hooking them up with a gift card for, you know, Duncan or, or Rita's or Wawa, courtesy of Brian or Chevrolet. Fair and enough? I'm, I'm not allowed to. N- no, you work here, Joe. Unless you, I mean, want to win the card, then I could, you know, talk to somebody about something. So okay. I would never want that to happen, though. So now this, this data is from 2013. Well, he hasn't been in the league so since then, so that should be... Should no, be kind of current. he's been retired a lot longer than that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I'm guessing it just takes a, lo- a long time to count the strawberries, perhaps, you uh-huh. know. Uh-huh. But this is the top five strawberry-producing countries. My kids love strawberries. Uh, I'm okay with them. If they're in cereal or something like that, I don't just like, sit there and pop them in. My kids love them. It's a lot of work, too. you got to get the green thing off the top. Favorite ice cream? See, there, there that'll work. Is that, is that your favorite ice cream? Uh, butter pecan, probably, but strawberry is uh-huh. a close second. What about Strawberry. you? Yeah. All right. So the simple question is, name any of the top five strawberry-producing countries. Right? This is in lieu of having Daryl Strawberry, which would have been a more interesting interview, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> but this... Do you think he knows? <laughs> well, he I, would have said America because he's from a large family. Yeah. Well, maybe it's in the top five. Yeah. All right. So that's the simple question. Text your answer. What, uh, name just one of them. Top five strawberry-producing countries... Name any of the top five. Text that to 610-500-DOVE, 610-500-3683, or email timmyd, T-I-M-M-Y-D, at WFIL.com, and uh, we'll draw some winners. We'll draw a number of winners. It's Friday, so it's not going to be just one. We'll draw a number, so you have a, sh- you have a chance at this, and give it a shot. All right? Fair enough. I uh, think we are ready to go. Mr. Ray Rhodes Jr. Actually, is it, is it Doctor or Reverend? I want to make sure I get it right. 
Well, it's doctor, but you can uh, call me Ray. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, you've written this book, uh, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon. And uh, when I saw it come across our desk, I was like, that's of interest to me. We, we grew up with uh, Charles Spurgeon's devotional Morning by Morning. And, of course, he's a very, a very influential preacher. So if you could just educate folks for a little bit on Charles Spurgeon. So many people have heard his name. And then we can go into and talk about the book, too. Yeah, Charles Spurgeon uh, was born in, in June of 1834, lived to uh, 57 years of age, so he died a young man by our, our day and time yeah. uh, in 1892. Some have argued that he was not only the most important Christian influence in uh, the uh, 18th century, but also that he, I'm sorry, the 19th century, yeah. but uh, he's one of the most influential Victorians uh, total, whether Christian or not. Hmm. He authored uh, 135 books or so, wow. an ed- editor of a monthly magazine, 63 volumes of his sermons that we have published, and uh, that's not uh, all of them. <laughs> yeah. He pastored a mega church, uh, largest church in the world, largest Baptist church in the world uh, during uh, his ministry. He came to London to serve as pastor in 1854 and remained there uh, as pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle until he died in 1892. And uh, he met this young lady, uh, uh, actually two and a half years older than him, when he was doing a trial sermon there at the, uh, it would then call the New Park Street Chapel. They later changed it and moved to the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle. But he was preaching there December 18, 1853, just as a guest, and that led to him being called as pastor in 1854. All right, yeah, uh, folks just tuning in, we're chatting with uh, Ray Rhodes Jr. has written this book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. And also, Charles Spurgeon, he uh, started an orphanage too, didn't he? He did. He he had about 60 institutions uh, connected to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. So you get thinking about that. He's got a mega church. He's a prolific writer. Uh, there's about 60 institutions that he's in, uh, in charge of connected to the church, and the orphanage being one that was near and dear to his heart. The first institution he started was called the Pastor's College. Susie was called the mother of the college. He started with one student, <laughs> and uh, the college still exists today, uh, now called Spurgeon's College. But, uh, yeah, the wow. orphanage was a big uh, – he, uh, he loved George Mueller. They were good friends. Yes. And so he had the inspiration, in part at least – or Muller, and he wanted to do something like that in London. He felt his church should be doing more to help not only orphans, but in many cases, uh, uh, being ministering to their larger family as well. Talking with Dr. Ray Rhodes Jr. about the book Susie on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. One of the ways I got familiar with him was through the devotional uh, Morning by Morning, which has, I guess, a page of devotions and a scripture and then commentary of his. I've heard him quoted from the pulpit a lot as well. And my dad, I was just talking to him today, and he said, you know, Charles Spurgeon was respected across the board. Uh, he's never heard a bad word about him. My dad's 91, advanced middle age, as he says. And uh, <laughs> he said, like, in all the years, he really didn't hear a bad word about him. Uh, what do you think uh, you know, was behind uh, Charles Spurgeon's ability to be so prolific and so well-received in terms of across different denominations. And in such a short, you know, relatively short amount of time, dying at age 57. Yeah, I, I would say central to Charles's uh, 
longevity even today. I mean, you go to Christian bookstores, the, the ones that remain, uh, and you'll find Charles Spurgeon. You'll find him in secular bookstores as well. And you mentioned the morning by morning. I'm impressed, Tim, that you you know that. What most people are familiar today is it's been compiled morning and evening. Yeah. Uh, but uh, initially it came out as morning by morning and then evening by evening, and then later they put those together. So that's uh, probably most Americans that are familiar with Spurgeon. That's their introduction to him as well. But he was centered on Christ, uh, the, the cross, the gospel. I mean, it, I challenge uh, anyone to pick up a Spurgeon volume and get uh, probably not even off of one page before you're, you're encountering Christ in the gospel. So that was his centerpiece, uh, preaching the Bible, uh, lifting up Christ. And he was not always popular. I mean, he was popular, and yet he, he was also criticized early in his ministry, uh, some of the more refined ministers saw him as old-fashioned. As uh, you know, he was very much influenced by the Puritans. He was uh, slandered and ridiculed and cr- criticized in the press. Hmm. He was a part of uh, about five great controversies in his ministry, where he, was, he stood for the authority of Scripture and sound doctrine. And the last one, uh, most people are f- familiar with, is the downgrade controversy. Uh, began in uh, 1897 and uh, continued uh, really till his death in 1892. And uh, he had to take a stand for the authority of Scripture, and uh, he left the Baptist Union and was censured by the Baptist Union as a result of that, as liberalism was creeping into the church and the Baptist uh, denomination as well at that time. And, uh, right. and Spurgeon really died of a broken heart. Uh, Susie believed that was the at least he had many problems, health problems otherwise, but she believed that was the human reason for his uh, early death at 57 was that. But he, he believed that history would vindicate him and he would be uh, long remembered for his faithfulness, and indeed that's the case. Uh, he also believed to be more remembered and regarded in America than in England, and that's also the case. In fact, in Kansas City, there's the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and it's a beautiful uh, facility there, a great place for Spurgeon research. But uh, Charles Spurgeon is still, I believe, more known here than he is in England. <laughs> Amazing. We're, uh, Ray Rhodes Jr. is our guest, written this book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon, who just wanted to have a little background and introduction because I think folks do know him from here and there and maybe a quote in a sermon but to understand some of his uh, histor- uh, historical significance is important. And then writing this book to me is so important. I'll give a quick uh, side story here. We had a local pastor in not too long ago. He married a girl I went to high school with 30-plus years ago, and he's been battling cancer. And he wrote a book, and when they came to visit, since they're local, they were able to stop in and do an interview in studio. Uh, he's a little bit like, should Nancy come in with me? I'm like, absolutely. I mean, she's been living with you. She married you for almost 30 <laughs> years. Who better to know what, because he, he kind of wanted her to, but he was like, is this okay? I'm like, it better be okay. because <laughs> She's got stuff she's going to be able to add into the story. So it really was helpful to have Rand. And likewise, when I saw the book, Susie, that you wrote, I thought, man, this is, this is very insightful. Let's not, she's not just a tag along or an add on or a footnote. So share a little bit about what got you interested in writing uh, Susie in the first place. Yeah, well, I've, I've been long interested in Spurgeon and uh, reading biographies of him since at least the uh, early 90s and uh, in books he's written as well. I didn't really think much about his wife. Uh, there's only been one other biography, and it was a small one published in 1903 by Charles Ray, uh, and that's the only other biography of Charles Spurgeon's wife, which is I found stunning, really, the uh, 
uh, arguably one of the most famous preachers and Christians in all of history, and yet very little study has been done on his life. And I actually went back to seminary late in life uh, to work on my doctorate at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, and I uh, had to choose a thesis topic, and I wanted to do something related to Spurgeon, and that led me to uh, uh, focusing on the spirituality of Spurgeon and, and Charles and Susie Spurgeon and their marriage, Bible reading, and prayer. And uh, initially thought I would publish a book of related to that, but uh, as I'm talking to publishers, the interest was in a biography of Susie at that time. Now the book about Charles and Susie's marriage is also coming out through Moody Publishers in 2021, so we're working on that now. Okay. But uh, the Susie biography came first, and I was thrilled, and the more I learned about this lady, the more I wanted to learn, the more fascinated I become. You're right, she was not just sort of his wife and uh, in the background. She she was a very uh, important person. In fact, I've got a letter from Charles to her where he says, initially, you know, I, I knew I loved you. He says, but now I realize how necessary you are to me. Mm. And uh, that's, that struck me. In fact, I just finished writing an article for a magazine in which I'm focusing on that uh, concept that she was more than just uh, someone he loved and more than just his wife, but he found her absolutely necessary. Dr. Dr. A. Rhodes, Jr., our guest. Uh, the book is called Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, Wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. We're going to take a quick break. Continue our chat here on Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. 418, The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Don't forget our simple quiz questions today. Name any of the top five strawberry producing countries. I think what we'll do is we'll take them off the board. There are five. So we'll give away five different gift cards. Uh, So if somebody picks one of them, we'll take it out and uh, you can guess one guess, one country only either text it to 610-500-DOVE, 610-500-3683. Just put your first and last name in there if you would, so I know who's texting or email me, timmyd, T-I-M-M-Y-D at WFIL.com. This is because Daryl Strawberry is coming to the Ocean City Tabernacle this coming Sunday. It's absolutely free, speaking in the morning, 8.30 and 10.30, and also uh, Laura Story doing a free concert that evening at 7. She's the one that's Mighty to Save and a bunch of other songs. So uh, get yourself in the running as we continue our conversation uh, with Dr. Ray Rhodes Jr., who has written the book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, Wife of Charles Spurgeon, uh, tell us about Charles and Susanna, you know, uh, how they met and all that. They they married in 1856, January of 1856. Her first encounter with him in 1853 at the church was, uh, she wasn't impressed. you got to remember, uh, Tim, she was a, a refined London girl. She spent all of her life in London except for her time in Paris. So <laughs> that was... Uh, <laughs> <she> was <laughs> right. Right. She was from a more upper-class family, a cultured, refined, Victorian lady. Yeah. Uh, and Charles was not. I mean, Charles was from the country. His father was a bivocational preacher. His grandfather was pastor of a small uh, independent church. So he, he knew the country. She knew the city. And so she commented on things like his hair and his, the way he dressed and his, the way he talked. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So none of this, nothing about him impressed her, but she was struggling spiritually. And once it uh, became obvious he was going to become the pastor of the church, he got word that uh, he had a young lady in the church that was struggling, and he 
sent her a copy of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, a book that he read over a hundred times in his lifetime. Hmm. It was uh, the most important book in Charles Spurgeon's life was that he started reading it when he was six years old and just uh, continued to collect every edition he could and, and read that book. And so that's what he gave her. That led to her uh, really opening up to him, and uh, at some point, uh, the romance blossomed. But just going to give you some context, December of 1853, she's unimpressed. April of 1854, she's sharing her struggles with him. June of 1854, he reveals his love to her by pointing to a poem and a book about marriage and asks her, does she pray for the one that's to be her husband? And then in August of 1854, he asked her to marry him, and she's thrilled and excited and, <laughs> and thankful to God. So what a change a few months can make. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it, that's funny. That is funny. And you'll hear stories like that every now and again where one or, one or the other one's like, yeah, when I first met him, I didn't like him at all. I liked you know, somebody else, or he just struck me the wrong way. And, of course, if the Lord's in it, then uh, don't be surprised at anything. Or We're uh, chatting with Dr. Ray Rhodes, Jr., we are allowed to call him Ray uh, in our interview here. Susie is the book, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. Uh, and you mentioned just uh, if for folks just tuning in, uh, Charles Spurgeon, of course, one of the most influential preachers of all time and very prolific in his writings. And he had been a guest pastor, uh, and that's where she first encountered him at, at that church. And then it turns out that he wound up doing more than just the one time. And that, that's how the relationship started to, to go from there, Right. That's right. That's right. So they were engaged in August of 1854, and uh, were he actually baptized her. You know, she had believed she'd come to know Christ before meeting him, but she had never openly professed that until afterwards. And then uh, he baptized her in late 1855. They're married in 1856. They have babies within nine months, so they've got twin sons. And a month later, Charles's popularity is skyrocketing. Uh, already, I mean, has, has been for some time. He is preaching in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall. Ten thousand people inside of that building. Ten thousand people outside wanting to get in. And uh, mischief makers come in and yell fire, and the place panics. Folks jump from the balcony, rush to the exits. Seven mm. people are trampled to death, and. Uh, about 30 other people are hospitalized. I mean, just tragic stories of emergency C-sections being done, trying to save a, a nine-month uh, pregnant woman's baby. She was the mother was already dead. I mean, just just wow, one that's... story after another. Very tragedy. So this is the first year of their marriage. They've got twin sons. A month later, this tragedy uh, happens. The newspapers just condemn him for preaching. Uh, in a building like that, so large, and so many people packed in, even though, I mean, he, he was just trying to accommodate his ministry there. Right. But he was he was criticized from uh, various corners. He sunk into a deep depression. Hmm. There's idea that he may have quit the ministry uh, that early on had he not had the wife that he had. And she prayed for him. She pointed him to the promises of Christ and and he was renewed, uh, revived, and God strengthened him. And two weeks later, he's back in his church. And four weeks after this tragedy, he's back in the music hall again preaching. And uh, I'm not sure that he should have been. As you look, as you read the story, and you see the the effects that the tragedy had upon him. He suffered with depression before that to some extent, but it was so magnified after that that it became debilitating at times. Hmm. I mean, he would have experiences where he would just literally be paralyzed. He would throw up uh, in his office before preaching at times. He'd have to uh, stabilize himself before going out to face the crowd. I mean, it really affected him. 
Wow. And in ways that he didn't realize, uh, he thought that he had recovered, but Susie recognized it and his friends recognized it. But nevertheless, he was joyful in the Lord. He continued writing, continued preaching. His fame continued to grow. His church continued to grow. He was in demand everywhere. And he and Susie had lots of great times together after that. They traveled uh, the continent together. He preached in John Calvin's church in Geneva. She was with him. They hiked the Alps. So she did. He rode in a carriage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, Venice I mean, had just a, had a lovely experience until uh, both of their health, health uh, situations uh, began to diminish. Chatting with Ray Rhodes Jr., who has written this book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon, one of the most influential pastors and uh, Christian writers in history. And a number of things come to mind as you're talking there. One of them, though, I think maybe folks might be surprised that Charles Spurgeon had battled depression, considering the, the amount of wonderful work that he put out. Uh, and that I think Susie, too, had uh, battled some as well in her lifetime. She was uh, she no, no real evidence of her depression so much, but she was afflicted with some sort of gyne- uh, gynecological disease. Okay, and she had surgery in eighteen uh, late eighteen sixty eight, early eighteen sixty nine that left her an invalid. Hmm. So after that time, she uh, no longer was able to attend services. It was very rare that she could <clears throat> excuse me even go to church. Her travel days with Charles was over. She became homebound. So uh, that's how significant her illness is uh, from that point, really, until her death in 1903, though later on there were seasons in which her God gave her strength and she was able to get out more. Charles's own health began to deteriorate. He especially suffered early on with gout, which uh, he describes something to the effect of, you know, put your uh, arm in a vice and tighten it ten times, tighten it ten times more, and you begin to understand what gout feels like. And the London winters were just... Uh, dreadful to him and with gout Hmm. so that uh, by the mid-1870s he is traveling every year up to three months a year to the uh, french riviera at his doctor's council to be in really what was a perfect climate there at montan france near the italian border and uh, so he was going from home with that he still of course had a, a big preaching schedule on the road they were separated a lot uh, after her own health deteriorated, but his own and his travels to the south of France along with his other ministry. So they wrote love letters uh, back and forth. He wrote her every day. He was gone. He he longed for her to be with him. She longed for him to be with her, and yet she made a commitment before they were married that she would never do anything to hinder him in any way from his public ministry. Uh, that's what she wanted him to do. She fully supported that. And uh, she committed herself to that, and he wrote her and said, you know, you have, I've never served God less because of you, only more. And so he recognized that he was able to do what he was able to do in large part because he had a supportive and loving wife who did so joyfully, though she, you know, she was lonely without him. But can you imagine if Charles Spurgeon had not had that? We, we might not even know his name today <laughs> if uh, he had not had her at home. But a miracle happened, really. I call it a miracle. In uh, 1891, when Charles is sick again, he needs to go back down to the south of France. He Every time he's wanted her to go with him, and she can't. And this time, miraculously, really no explanation given other than that, is her health recovers, and she's able to make the journey with him. And, and uh, descriptions that uh, she gives in her writing about that those three months together 
Of course, she didn't know, nor did he know, that that would be the last time he would ever go there because he would die there in uh, January of 1892. So October, they, they left together. They arrived. She describes it as three months of perfect happiness. Hmm. And uh, it was like a honeymoon. Charles, if you can kind of picture this, uh, you know, I'm sure you've been somewhere before. Maybe your uh, wife couldn't go or someone that you love. You'd love to have seen what you were seeing. And they couldn't experience that with you. And so that takes a little bit of the joy away. And that's the way Charles was. When he got her there, he starts taking her places that were important to him, seeing sights that he loved. And he was, he said, now wifey, that's what he called her a lot, wifey. <laughs> wifey, wasn't it worth uh, the thousand-mile journey to see this? And she later wrote, she says, oh, all that was wonderful, but the greatest joy was seeing how happy he was in having me with him. And just a real tender scene. And so that goes on until January of 1892. And uh, mid-January, his health uh, declines rapidly. And he goes to bed about, uh, you know, uh, towards the end of January, 10 days before he dies, and never rises again. Mm. And there on January the uh, 31st, 1892, at 11.05 p.m., uh, with Susie right there at his side, along with a a small group, uh, he dies. And she thanks the Lord for his life and prays uh, for God's help and uh, commits all these things to the Lord. And so she begins her own, the rest of her life uh, without Charles. She would live on another 11 to 12 years. And yet, though she was lonely, uh, she continued her book ministry, which she had started in 1875 with the release of Spurgeon's uh, lectures to my students. And by the time she, uh, her life ended. She had given away 200,000 books to poor pastors, ministered to their families. Yeah. She had written her own first book on that ministry. She wrote a book uh, that was released uh, in 1886 called Ten Years of My Life in the Service of the Book Fund. She would go on to write five standalone books, wow. numerous articles, wow. editing the magazine after Spurgeon died. She was a major contributor and editor of the four-volume autobiography of Charles Spurgeon that came out in the late 1890s and early uh, and up to 1901. She even planted a church in her widowhood. So you get this afflicted elderly lady, a widow, who makes a journey to a little uh, town on the coast south of London, sees that there's no Baptist church, and begins the effort to plant a Baptist church there. And she is, uh, and the church exists today with monuments there to Susanna Spurgeon for her work in that ministry. Well, so it's just an amazing uh, thing that I could, I can't do as a healthy person. <laughs> I don't, feel, I don't feel like I can do. Yeah, yeah. Doctor A. Rhodes Jr. is our guest. He's author of the book Susie: The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. We'll take a short break. Come back at you. Congratulations, by the way, to Jim in Elkins Park. He texted in and guessed the United States is one of the top five strawberry producing countries in the world, number two on the list. Uh, But there's one that produces even twice as much as the U.S., and then there are several that produce quite a bit less than the U.S. If you want to win a gift card to Rita's or to Duncan or to Wawa, courtesy of Briner Chevrolet in Jenkintown, uh, give me a quick text and take a guess, one guess, as to the remaining four on our top five list of top five strawberry producing countries in honor of Daryl Strawberry coming this coming Sunday morning to the Ocean City Tabernacle to speak at 8.30 and 10.30 in the morning. Laura Story doing a free concert that night. Details at octabernacle.org. Back in a minute with more on WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. 
434 on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. We have a clear evening ahead with a low of 67, a lot of sun tomorrow and Sunday. 90 the high tomorrow and 92 on Sunday. Phillies open a weekend series at home this evening against the Atlanta Braves. 705 start, Jake Arrieta on the mound for the Phils. Phils have won three in a row. The Braves have lost two in a row, so the Phils are trending upward. Five and a half games out of first, a game out of the wild card, and the Eagles continue their training camp situation. Chatting with Dr. Ray Rhodes Jr., author of the book Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon, one of the most influential pastors and uh, Christian scholars in, in history. And you know, you're mentioning before the break there about all the things that the Lord used Susie to do uh, after Charles had passed away. But you also talked about there was a time there where for a bit she really was kind of hit hard, obviously, by the loss of her husband and questioning, you know, what am I going to do now? And, you know, could have faded into the sunset and just kind of given up. But instead, she realized the Lord gave her work to do. She wanted to move forward. And uh, and she did. And look at all the things that God did in the 11 years that followed. That's right. What an example that is, too, that she didn't. Uh, yeah, she uh, she did suffer. Uh, not only physically, she continued to suffer. And emotionally, she missed him. Uh, and she longed for him. I mean, she she understood there's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. And yet she believed that she would see him in heaven and that they would worship God together, uh, you know, as brother and sister in Christ throughout all of eternity. So she longed to uh, see Christ, and she longed to see him, and expected to see him in heaven and worship God together. So it was a lonely uh, widowhood in many ways, and yet she put her hand to the plow, and she remained faithful. She was supported. Uh, You know, she had lots of good friends, but, uh, you know, Spurgeon uh, was able to, he really required, he had a lot of help, the hired uh, servants, hired employees. They called them servants at that time, not slaves, not that they were servants. They were household employees that he had that assisted him in his ministry, assisted them in their home, which was Grand Central Station for activity. And uh, some of those were able to uh, stay on and continue to assist Susie throughout the rest of her life. And Charles had provided for her in such a way that she had sufficient resources for the rest of her life as well. Yeah, parenthetically, he, uh, Charles Spurgeon, and I'm guessing Susie also, were very much against owning slaves, right? And even that caused some problems. Again, more problems between him and others in the South at the time, maybe, who were not quite so... Yeah, Spurgeon was very much anti-slavery. Uh, he supported in the, uh, he took a side in the American Civil War. He supported the North in that, and uh, he actually, uh, you know, a lovely story is uh, there was a, a slave, uh, a former slave after the war, who was able to make his way to England, meet Charles Spurgeon. Charles put him through the uh, his pastor's college. He preached at Spurgeon's church. They helped to support him as a missionary. And he was at both Charles's and Susie's funeral and considered uh, Susie one of the, his very, very closest of friends. So, yeah, Spurgeon not only sort of took a strong stand verbally, but he lived it out. He, he, uh, and he, that's just one example yeah. of his ministry to a slave. So, yeah, we, you know, kind of our terminology from the Victorian age to today can get a little bit uh, difficult uh, understanding. But when uh, in the Victorian age, when they would refer to servants, that meant employees. Uh, think Downton Abbey a bit, only in Spurgeon's household, they were like family, and they participated in family worship and were just uh, loved Charles and Susie, and, and they were paid. So they were paid, paid employees. Yeah. 
Dr. Ray Rhodes Jr. is our guest. He's author of the new book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon, one of the most well-known pastors and most influential preachers in history, a very prolific writer. And I'm just thinking as you're writing a book and, and detailing history, really, back from the 1800s into the early 1900s, it must have been a lot of fun, a lot of challenging uh, you know, work for you, too. It was it kind of like putting a jigsaw puzzle together to unearth one fact, which begets another fact and helps you to paint a better picture as you're writing? Yeah, especially with Susie, excuse me, with Susie's early life, she left almost nothing behind. So to, to put to, to piece together any sort of story of her early years before meeting Charles Spurgeon is almost like when you read Spurgeon biographies that she came into existence the moment she met him, but she really had a life before that. So we had to go through uh, census reports and other uh, legal documents to find out, you know, uh, details about her family. No one even knew her mother's name, as far as I know, until my book came out. I was, and it took a long time for us to even discover her mother's name, which was interesting because she's always referred to as the only daughter of R.B. Thompson or Robert Bennett Thompson, never is her mother mentioned in any, uh, that I'm aware of at least, in any literature that, uh, even in Spurgeon's magazines and letters that I've come across, uh, never is her mother mentioned, which uh, was interesting to me, but we found her finally. Her name is Susanna as well, and she also had a, uh, a cousin named Susanna, so that in one of the chapters of the book, I have to do some uh, ex- explanation to make sure we stay on the, with the right Susanna. Well, and she also has a great-great-granddaughter, Susanna, who is the first endorsement of the book, which must have been very cool for you to see, that you have someone tied to the family directly who, who says, this book is a good book to read. That was very exciting. I, uh, my, my church here, I'm a pastor as well, and in uh, their kindness, just a small uh, church, but they sent us to uh, England a couple of times, and the very first time we got to meet Susanna Spurgeon Cochran, uh, which is fantastic, and corresponding with her is always great, getting emails from uh, Susanna Spurgeon. <laughs> right, that's got to be surreal. <laughs> and uh, that's where her emails come across, and uh but, uh, yeah, she was a delightful uh, lady, uh, married, and they have several children, godly woman as well, so carrying on the Spurgeon legacy. Spurgeon had prayed that his uh, descendants would uh, faithfully serve Christ, and she certainly, and her children, her family, has been certainly an example of that. So, uh, yes, yeah, she is the great-great-granddaughter. Her uh, father died a few years ago, David Spurgeon, so he would have been the great-grandson, uh, meaning that Charles's son, Thomas, was his grandfather, uh, which is getting pretty close. That's, um, I think that's the closest living uh, connection to Charles Spurgeon, and she's a young lady. So, and with um, and I did a video, one of the videos for promotion of the book. We're able to get her talking on the video, but also her her young children. We have them on video, so we have the great 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 uh, grandchildren, wow. children of Spurgeon as well. So yeah, all of that was wonderful. Two trips over. I also got to go to Paris and to the place where Spurgeon died in uh, in Montan, France. The building is not there anymore, but the uh, location where he spent so much of his life and and time. Well, and but so- yeah, some of it was tedious, but uh, other stuff was you know it was great. Just uh, uh, reading newspapers. Uh, you know, I still have subscriptions to ancient newspapers. Reading through those. Spurgeon was in the news, and after he died, Susanna was in the news, and even in American papers. So you're in Philadelphia. I'm uh, certain that we could go to Philadelphia papers uh, early in the 20th century and be reading stories about the Spurgeons there. Dr. Ray Rhodes Jr. is our guest. The book is called Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. 
are the most well-known and well-respected preachers and pastors and biblical scholars in uh, Christian history, really. And we have a few more minutes to want to chat with him. We also want to shoehorn in our Now That's Punny segment to cap off the uh, program and the week. And also, still have four names on the list. Since Daryl Strawberry is coming to the Ocean City Tabernacle this coming Sunday, free, 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., Laura Story doing a free concert at night. We're doing strawberry trivia. Simply name any of the top five strawberry-producing countries. We had the U.S. guests. They're number two on the list. There are four others. So I'll give away up to four other gift cards. You can only pick one. But take a, take a guess at any of them. Text me at 610-500-DOVE, 610-500-3683, or email me, Timmy D, T-I-M-M-Y-D, at WFIL.com. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email Timmy D at WFIL.com. 445 Tim DeMoss Show with Dr. Ray Rhodes Jr., author of the book Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. Uh, talked about the work she did after Charles's passing. Share, if you would, why Susie was good for Charles as she supported him during the years that he was alive and, and ministering. Yeah, something that um, a few, few people know about her, I think, that might be interesting to your listeners, is when they were engaged, uh, Spurgeon would go over to her home on Mondays. He would edit his sermon. He just preached. His sermons were published each week in the papers. And uh, and she would sit there quietly unless he asked her to read something to him or, or whatnot. But one night he handed her a... Uh, a volume by Thomas Brooks, one of the Puritan writers, and asked her to go through that and pull salient quotes from that. That became a book uh, called Smooth Stones Taken from Ancient Brooks, Brooks, a play on his name. And uh, her name is not on the book anywhere when it was originally published or the reprintings of that today. And yet she tells the story of how there's a love story between every page. So he had her engaged. I think Susie, early in her in their marriage, she was uh, a little bit passive. Uh, she had a strong faith, but she was hesitant to sort of step out and do things. And Charles was constantly sort of lovingly prodding her forward. And that finally took hold, and uh, she became very active. But that was one of the early things. She helped at the church with baptismal candidates. Spurgeon would come home on a Sunday night deeply depressed. Uh, many pastors could say that's their story. You, you lay it all out there on Sunday morning preaching God's Word, and you come home and you're empty. And hmm. Spurgeon would often come home weeping, and she would read uh, George Herbert, the poet, to him and comfort him. And she would cry with him as well, just uh, because she felt his, his she felt his pain and and wanted to support him. So she had that sort of life. She helped him in research. There's times he'd bring her into a study on Saturday night. She'd read commentaries to him. And then, as uh, you mentioned, 1875 is when she began the book fund, and uh, she uh, read through Charles's lectures to my students, Volume One, a proof copy. And she said, Charles, I wish we could give a copy of this to every pastor in England. And Charles says, okay, wifey, why don't you make that happen? <laughs> That's funny. And uh, he challenged her, and she uh, was surprised by that, sort of like uh, a lot of us. We think something should be done, but it's someone else that should do it. Right, uh, <laughs> right, right. But Susie took the challenge, and she uh, had saved enough money to buy 100 copies to give, and that's where it started. And then over time, uh, mostly Spurgeon books, but not exclusively, that she would give away. And they, there were requirements for this. There are many, many poor pastors in, uh, throughout the continent, 
and they could they couldn't buy books because they could barely feed their family, and no pastor would you know not feed his family so it could buy a book. So some of these pastors had almost no resources, and that bothered Susie because she saw what and how books were important to Charles, and she believed that if she could invest in pastors with good resources, that that would make them better preachers, and the gospel would go out further, and the churches would be stronger. And that led to this, uh, you know, she became increasingly passionate for this ministry, and then she discovered some of the just really pitiful conditions that many of these homes were in, and that, uh, you know, that the wife, the husband, the children, not almost uh, not even a second set of clothes, uh, mm-hmm. scant supplies in the pantry, uh, no ability to uh, get medical care at times. And so she found other ways to support these families, really became what she's most known for today, is Mrs. Spurgeon's book find that uh, that lives on? By the way, there are a couple of places where uh, this ministry is still being practiced, not in its initial formation, but um, there's a, a ministry called the Susanna Project out there now, and they're sending digital books to poor pastors and missionaries across the world on a Kindle. So that her influence lives on through through that. And then, as I as I said, she went on to pen uh, five other books. What we probably most appreciate from her is the uh, four volume autobiography of Charles Spurgeon, that uh, really tells her love story and that as well. She opens up uh, with that, the church planting, uh, her letter writing, her flower ministry. I mean, uh, uh, just a thousand things. They were very the Spurgeons were very close friends with D.L. Moody and his wife Emma. And when Spurgeon died, she sent uh, D.L. Moody one of his most prized Bibles that he used, and um, mm-hmm. they had a lifelong friendship as well. Susie and uh, Charles, Charles were also uh, known to laugh a lot, were they not? Oh, yes. They uh, they loved to hold hands and walk across the property. They they both loved nature, birds and flowers, and and the whole nine yards. They uh, they loved traveling together when she was able to. Spurgeon had a huge sense of humor. He was sometimes criticized for his sense of humor, and he said, you wouldn't criticize me if you knew uh, what I wanted to say but didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's very of course, funny. Uh, Spurgeon was a, a renowned cigar smoker, which brought him some criticism as well. He eventually did quit when he saw that Folks, were, uh, a cigar shop was advertising cigars, uh, smoked the cigar that Spurgeon smoked. No way. He yeah, wow. he didn't appreciate that, and so he eventually did stop. But he uh, he loved cigars. He, he, he loved to laugh. Uh, he obviously loved to eat. Uh, <laughs> Are you a baseball fan, by the way? I will. I, I do like the Braves. I'm not a diehard uh, baseball guy, but okay. I do love baseball. Yep. Well, we have your Braves in town tonight, you realize, all weekend. It's, oh, you do? Yeah, it's the Braves-Phillies this weekend. Tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday. Oh, man, that'll be... Are you going to the game? So I'm planning to go, yes, this evening. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But one reason I ask also is because your story about Spurgeon and the cigars is hilarious because it reminds me... I'm, I'm an avid baseball card collector, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you're familiar with the Honus Wagner card from the early 1900s. I'm not. Uh, it's, it's called the T, uh, T206 series. And they were inserted into uh, cigarette packs back then. And Wagner's, uh, he was not a, a fan of smoking. And so he made the company pull the card. And so the the card was super rare. Um, and, and there have been different fluctuations in how many of them there are. At one point, there was supposed to be less than 10. I've heard that there were maybe a couple of dozen and in what shape they're in, you know. But Hall of Fame player, one of the best ever, and 
I guess I don't know the 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 backstory in terms of if the comp- tobacco company just printed them any and and then the players found out, but he didn't want it, so he made him pull it, and so the value shot way up. Oh, you know, years later, that, that's the scarcity of it drove the value up. But he, he similarly, like he found out, like Charles Spurgeon. That sounds funny that he would have just found out that they're deciding to say just like Charles Spurgeon does, you know. <laughs> So. Yeah, and so he didn't see any sin in that. In fact, uh, he had a, a, a gentleman preaching at his church one night and started railing against smoking. And Spurgeon stood up afterwards and says, I, you know, my dear friend so-and-so here, he said, uh, he has found some scripture that I'm unaware of in the Bible or something <laughs> to that effect. And yeah. if I, he said, I'm willing to obey any anything the Bible says. And uh, But since I don't see any prohibition against smoking, I plan to go home tonight and smoke a cigar to the glory of God. <laughs> wow, that's funny. And I guess I guess that gets into the verse that what like uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then it can maybe then you can start examining everything like how you're eating, how much you're sleeping, how busy, how much stress you're you know perhaps putting into your life, and smoking is another one, or or drinking or whatever it might be. There may be certain things. Jesus turning water into wine, and that's another topic altogether. But that's interesting about him. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize that. So well, in any case. People, that's where they can dig into the book and find out about Charles, find out about Susie, of course, the name of the book. Again, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. Uh, Dr. Ray Rhodes, Jr., kind enough to spend some time and talk with us about that, that today. Thank you for doing that. And you said you are working on another uh, book in the in the next year or two? Yeah, yeah. So this book, uh, Susie, uh, which I'm just stunned by how what a beautiful job Moody Publishers did. It's just a beautiful book. It's yeah. Stands out. I mean, I'm not even my content. I'm talking about the the production. Of the the cover of it's beautiful too. It is. It is. And I was blessed to have Dr. Albert Moeller write the forward. So just and many other good endorsers. But yeah, Moody. Uh, the book has done very well, and uh, so Moody was excited to uh, partner with me on a second Spurgeon book. It's going to be called Spurgeon in Love: A Persevering Victorian Romance, scheduled for Valentine's uh, for February of 2021. So uh, I've got a lot of work to do uh, to, to get that. <laughs> it's a good that ready. Joe, put that on our calendar. Joe, our producer's listening in, so he can put that on the calendar. We'll, we'll keep an eye out, maybe a touch base late 2020, Lord willing, and and see where things are, and uh, maybe have you on as the book approaches. That sounds great. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Maybe we can come watch the playoffs, the Braves and the Phillies. I'll just come up or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, we're, it's great to make your acquaintance and to talk about the book. And, uh, again, thanks for writing it and for sharing it with us today. Well, thank you, Tim. I really enjoyed being on your show. Uh, blessings to you, my brother. You too. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Ray Rhodes, Jr., the book Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon. Back in a moment with our famous pun segment to wrap up our fine broadcast today on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. 457, the Tim DeMoss Show. That music can mean only one thing. Time for Now That's Punny. Joe, you know, we do this segment every Friday for one reason and one reason only. Because seven days without a pun makes one week. (laughs) Thank you very much. Let's jump right in. I don't know if I told you, but I went to the doctor for a physical last week, and I told him I feel like a pair of curtains, Doc. He says, well, pull yourself together, man. (laughs) Got a comedian for a doctor. I'll have to admit, though, the visit before, I actually rushed into his office for the physical and said, Doc, Doc, I believe I'm a deck of cards. 
He said, go sit in the waiting room. I'll deal with you later. Thank you. So after the doctor visit, I went to the pharmacy and I said to the pharmacist, I have extreme headaches. I've been experiencing belly cramps. My back hurts. Do you have something? He says, no, I feel fine. (laughs) Some vegans, I don't know if you know this, Joe, but some vegans say meat eaters and butchers are gross. But I say those who sell you fruits and veggies are grosser. They're grosser. Like the, yeah. <clears throat> One last one for you, Joe. I have a cousin who's a magician. I'm totally about it. He actually decided recently to incorporate the use of trap doors in his shows. I think it's just a stage he's going through. Thank you very much. Have a lovely weekend. I'll pass the baton down to Jim Maxim, Acts 413 Ministries. He leads in prayer next. Have a wonderful weekend. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com.